All right. So welcome to the It Never Hurts to Ask podcast. This is our first episode. I'm your host, Chris Graves, and I'm here with my first guest, Maddie Hayhurst. Hey, guys. We are here to talk about gender and sexuality and whatever else comes up, really. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. So uh, first thing, Maddie, uh, introduce yourself. I'm Maddie Hayhurst. I, uh, yeah, I'm friends with Chris Grace. We've known each other, what, three years now? Two years? Something like that? Good Three years. Sure. Yeah. It's been a minute. So, so Maddie is my first guest and I invited her on because I've got all sorts of questions. I'd love to learn about gender and, uh, gender rights, sexuality, all of it. Um, I, I refer to Maddie as, as gender queer. I don't know if that's the proper nomenclature. How would you describe yourself? Yeah, so gender queer, I feel like, I mean, depending on who you ask, all of this is just my two cents, right? My, my limited worldview. Um, but gender queer is sort of, for me, at least more of a, an umbrella term for um, sort of the non-binary, anybody who doesn't fit in community. But I know that a lot of friends of mine do identify as gender queer as their label personally. Um, I use bi-gender, which I feel helps me explain myself and my identity in as few words as possible. So bi-gender means that sometimes you identify as really male, sometimes you identify as female. Um, I experience sometimes where I'm like a little of both, neither, um, but that's rare for me. It's usually like I feel really masculine or really male today or really female today. Um, and not that it lasts for a full day necessarily, but... Um, at this moment, I guess yeah. is the better. And that's one reason I find, not the only reason I find you so <laughs> fascinating. I love you for many reasons. But talking to you in over the course of our friendship yeah. is the, the fluidity with which your gender seems to change. Yeah. Most people, I think, when they think of, of trans people or genderqueer people, it's a male identifying as a woman or vice versa. And, right. and in our conversations, you've talked about how over the course of a day, your identity yeah. can kind of move yeah. about. No, it's it's definitely the hardest thing, not just to understand as somebody who is, you know, not queer identified or not trans identified or not, um, yeah, any of that. Um, but also within myself, it's it's one of the hardest things to explain or really understand because it isn't constant I feel very differently in relation to my body my body language what I want to wear um it makes packing for trips really interesting I feel like I pack for two people um and uh it but there is it's not provoked by outside stimuli or you know nothing anybody says or does or things I'm feeling it just like whenever my brain switches it does and i relate very differently to myself my friends my environment now now these two identities i've always referred to as maddie yeah um i typically with you use female pronouns you're my girl she her etc um this masculine identity that you have is it strictly just a feeling thing or does this masculine identity have a new name or new is it is it that encompassing or is it more of just an internalized feeling i mean yes and no um 
I go by Maddie pretty much all the time, right? Um, my parents have always called me M or MC. My middle name starts with a C. Um, and have pretty consistently used that with me my whole life. So they, for them, right, having this conversation, they just continue to call me M, MC or Maddie. And for me, I get to sort of mentally respell Maddie if I want to. Okay. Right. So sometimes I'm Maddie with D's, right? M A D D I E, short for Madeline. And I'm okay with that. And some days mentally I'm M A T T I E, right? Short for Matthew. And it, it's, I appreciate having already had Maddie as my sort of what I go by with everyone in all aspects of my life so that I didn't really have to, it's not that I wanted a name switch or anything, but it just helps me. You kind of lucked into it. Yeah. I just kind of lucked into something that I could mold to both of these sort of parts of myself. Um, without having to do a lot of extra digging or thinking up names or whatever. I did for a while play with um, just totally gender neutral names, right? Just looking at um, names that spoke to me or names that I had really enjoyed of other friends, celebrities found in literature. In, um, Don't you want to go by Beyonce? I, I would, <laughs> I would love to go by Beyonce. Uh, drunk, drunk friends have called me their Beyonce, but that's about as close as I get. <laughs> Um, so in addition to your, your gender identity, Mm -hmm. um, how does that interact with your sexuality, your sexual identity and who you're attracted to? Yeah. So fair question. And I've had partners ask this as well. Like when you switch does who you're into, what you're into change? No. Um, I identify as bi-gender, like I said, but also pansexual, which Again, people define these terms however they'd like and however feels most comfortable to them. But for me, pansexuals really just kind of a hearts, not parts situation where I'm attracted to who I'm attracted to. And I guess I like it because it gives me the freedom to sort of figure out what that means. And as I develop relationships with people, friendships, whatever, they just sort of become what they are. Um, And it, it... it gives me that space to without, oh, I have to risk um, sort of deferring from what people assume. You know, some, if I identify, for example, as a lesbian, well, one, that doesn't really work, right? Because I'm not always a woman and I'm sure. not always into only women. Um, so doesn't fit me very well. So pansexual gives me the freedom to both. Look, I am a non-binary, bi-gender, um, assigned female human being attracted to who the hell ever (laughs) sure um and it works now when i first met you when we first started to get to know each other i was kind of assumed right however ignorantly that oh that's my lesbian friend maddie yep because i've always seen you dating girls girlfriends right flirting with girls we would talk about girls (laughs) um which i really appreciate yeah you're a great wing lady thank you um i I do try it's it's fantastic um, but I guess lesbian is not, it's not accurate because like you said, trans people, you can be attracted to other, yeah. uh, gender queer people you can be attracted to. Right. I well, and, like- and for some people, right. Either who, and this is where it all gets super complicated. And it's like, I have some friends who identify as lesbians, but will date 
trans people of any identity. And so that's not just male to female trans people, because obviously trans women are women, um, but also non-binary folk, which might stretch that definition of what it means to be a lesbian. But I've really found that it's it's not so much what the definition of the term is, it's whatever makes you feel most comfortable. Sure. Um, and often it has to do with the communities you most identify with rather than the definition of the term itself. How important are those communities to your sense of, of belonging? I have had a really interesting experience with community. Um, I, I started off in a, my, my early days of being an out queer person. I was out as a lesbian. And, and how, when did you come out? How young were you? I came out to sort of friends and family around 18, 19, sort of in that year. And I assume you knew from... I knew for, for a minute. When, um, when were you like, oh, this is... When did you know for certain? Because my understanding is people kind of debate and feel different for a little while and then kind of come to the realization. Is that fair to say? or you just... That's certainly my experience, um, which was complicated, again, by the fact that, right, we're such a binary society. So anytime you have things that don't black or white, this or that kind of a, right, gay or right. straight, man or woman, right? Anytime you don't have... um something that lines up with those binaries it there is there's conflict there and and biphobia is real um and and so i was experiencing right like oh god well and then anytime you go through puberty as a kid right you you oh do i want to be you or do i want to do you right and right. then imagine me being a pansexual bigender kid with no concept of any of this no i mean i knew what gay was but really didn't have any further information that like bisexuality was something that was a phase that's what it was so then for me to be like i mean one of the first memories i have concretely of this was sometime in middle school whenever the uh, the pirates of the caribbean movies were super popular and all my friends were talking about oh my god johnny depp this johnny depp that blah, 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 blah. and i remember thinking like yeah definitely but also can we talk about Kira Knightley though? And I didn't know how to say, I didn't feel like I could say one, I was afraid to come out at all. Right. Sure. But I, I also didn't understand that I could find them both attractive and that that was also okay. Um, Johnny Depp was pretty in that movie. Though. He was beautiful. He was beautiful. And I say that as a cis dude. Oh yeah, no, totally fair. <laughs> I, I would have made <laughs> out with pirate Johnny Depp. Yeah. Uh, less so once he hit that skeleton phase, but yeah. Yeah. He's not aged well. <laughs> no. <laughs> so let me ask you, um, so you you kind of, I guess, would you say kind of dabbled, thought, uh, did a thought experiment with bisexuality, realized that wasn't quite encompassing enough for you, and then kind of so guess your... So I guess my story was, um, didn't, I mean, I dated, I dated guys, I had, um, I, I had, girls that I were, was dating or seeing or certainly interested in, but I wasn't comfortable being out. Um, and I didn't want to talk about it and I didn't want to deal with it. And all of this was like knowing that my parents had queer friends and I mean, at least lesbian, 
lesbian friends. My mom's a therapist. Like my parents are liberal people and, and not even about like politics. They're just really kind hearted people. Um, but I just, I wasn't ready to deal with it. And I also, I'm the type of person who like as a kid, I didn't want to read out loud until I knew that I could say every word perfectly. And I think part of my journey, struggle, whatever with my identities and all of their their overlaps and intersections and how they fit into the world beyond myself um, was not really wanting to say, I identify this way. Boom, blanket statement, until I knew, until I had more understanding, until I had more language. Um, and that was that was limiting for me to put that sort of pressure on myself because it didn't enable me to sort of authentically figure it all out. But I was so afraid too of that, like, people treating bisexuality as a phase, right? I didn't want to say like, I'm bisexual right. if I really wasn't. And I didn't want to add to the stigma. I didn't want to become part of that problem. Um, but I also, again, wasn't even aware that that was something real because I was too concerned with no, like, no, it is a phase. That's, you haven't decided yet, <laughs> you yeah. know, your attention or whatever, all the things that people say, um, which certainly can be true but really are usually not <laughs> right right so so you you kind of came out to your parents uh you came out around 18 and when you mm -hmm. came out did you come out with this pansexual by gen or did you come out as mom dad i'm i'm gay right now how did so i really only had one like sit down i have something important to tell you it's really important that you listen to me right now kind of a conversation about my sexuality um, and I had that with one of my oldest, dearest friends, Katie. Um, and she was crying and I was crying and it was just so dramatic, um, for my taste. And after that, I just sort of started coming out to people by like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. This girl I made out with, at which point they would inevitably go, wait, what? Or back up a second or something, you know, like, oh, I went to this queer party and the way I came out to my mom was we were in a DSW shopping for shoes for my cousin's wedding. And I had just gone to a, uh, like a queer party for Halloween. And I was telling her all about the party and how much fun I had and how much fun it was to be in a queer space. I mean, or at least a primarily queer space. And I said something about like, I'm never going to frat parties. Like I'm never going to straight people parties. It's way less fun. Right? Like whatever I was saying. Gay parties are a lot of they're fun. They're so fun. I mean, we the, the music's good, the drinks are flowing, like there's usually good people around. Um no, but she she responded by being like, Well, you're never gonna meet anybody that way. And I just got real quiet and she goes, uh, unless unless that is how you meet people. And I was like, Yep. Hey, what about these shoes over here? Like I just totally derailed the conversation. And of course, because she's my mom, she like, no, 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 and brought me back and was like, We need to actually talk about this. But I didn't, it felt more authentic to me to come out that way. Yeah. And that's just my experience, right? But, um, and then my dad, my mom told me that she told him already. So I didn't, it didn't even occur to me, but my dad, so sweet. And he and I were, we, we'd gone to Texas Chili Parlor, my parents and I, and, uh, which by the way, if you're ever in Austin, go check them out. Their chili is dope. Um, 
we were all sitting at dinner and my mom got up and went to the bathroom and I'd been talking at dinner about whatever girl I'd just been seeing and how excited I was. And I could finally have this conversation with my parents, you know, and my mom goes to the bathroom, leaves. My dad goes, were you ever going to tell me just in the small, like just so just, and I, and I completely broke. I was just like, I'm so sorry. Like I had no idea. Because Big Mouth over here already told you, like she already told me that she told you. So I didn't even, it didn't occur to me that I needed to retell him because that, that, that connection was important. Right. Um, but I didn't have a concept of my gender when I came out. I didn't, it took me another year to know that that's what was up. And about that time I was in a, in a relationship that stressed my my other relationships Mm -hmm. um and sort of pulled me away from my family the friends that i'd been with for most of my life um and caused a lot of conflict on those relationships because of the dynamic of the sort of rhetoric that i was learning um i entered into a really intense queer space Okay. Um, it, it, there was a lot of pressure to be queer enough and activist right. enough and involved enough and to some degree stressed out and tired and depressed and whatever, like to be the most whatever. And not that that was everybody, but that there was certainly a good chunk um, of that kind of pressure that I felt. And it took me a while after that. My parents and I had a lot of issues. So then... We had to unpack that. I studied abroad for a little while somewhere in there. So I was gone. And um, it took another couple years of me just like slowly letting my parents in, my family into that space and also pushing them to do their own reading, their own research, because right. I didn't want to chuck them into queer 305 sure. when they had no knowledge. And so instead, now I've gotten to have really powerful, really cool conversations with my parents about gender and race and sexuality and fat phobia and body shaming and feminism. I mean, I went to the women's march with my parents, both of them. Um, my mom very proudly made herself a pussy hat, but like they, they get involved and they're very vocal and they're, you know, really active in calling senators and participating. It's cool. So, so in regards to your parents, yeah, your dad, so you have a sister, Natalie. I do. Um, and she is straight identified far as I know. Okay. Um, your dad, there's that typical kind of trope of, oh, I wish my daughter was a lesbian. I'd much rather her date women than men because men are pigs. Do, do you, is there that kind of dynamic where you think, where you're, it feels like your dad almost prefers your sexuality over your sister's because you're more, I, I would say, focused on dating women versus men? Does that dynamic at play at all or no, not really? No, my dad is just happy to get to to have a relationship with me and my sister. Yeah. That is, I think, I mean, I would say my relationship with him is really strong. It's really founded in music and pop culture and sarcasm. Does he love Beyonce too? He doesn't. And I forgive oh, him for that. Come on, dad. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I, was, when I was seven, he took me to my first ever concert. And he took me to see ZZ Top. Awesome. Which also kickstarted my hat collection. I have a, ZZ, I have a hat from that concert um, that has grown now into a 40 however many hat (laughs) collection you do you do wear fly hats thank you i appreciate (laughs) it um 
but he, he, I mean, he and I have always gone for drives together and appreciated cars and music and f- movies and pop culture references. I would stay up, you know, like if I couldn't sleep, I'd get back up and he'd inevitably watch it, be watching Star Trek or um, there was this really terrible show on Spike uh, called MXC. It's it's absolutely it. it's no it's absolutely racist sexist like it's terrible, but he and I would just sit up and watch these people make idiots of themselves on this like terribly dubbed Japanese game show, and talk about like it's really not okay for them to be saying that, but also it's really fucking funny that that guy just fell on his ass in a pile of mud like, and it was and I don't think it so much as he wishes I was any different. I think it just. For both of my parents and for my sister, it makes more sense having all of these, like having having me told them like, hey, this is my truth. All right. of these things that maybe were just like quirky or weird or off color about me as a kid, um, the things I wanted to do. They kind of made spoke. sense. They made sense. Once, yeah. They clicked into place. So so let me kind of transition a little bit from your, your childhood to... I guess questions I have regarding current culture re- mm-hmm. regarding um, the LGBT community movement, whatever mm-hmm. label we want to slap on it. Um, would you say more often than not you Id- identify as female? No. I mean, I'd say that that is a more convenient way to exist in the world. Okay. And I'd say that more often than not, I don't push back on people assuming that I am female. Does it bother um, you personally or do you do you kind of get it from their perspective? Both. Okay. Both. Because I I I recognize that there are concrete differences in my word choice, body language, whatever, um, the way I carry myself, you know. Um, certainly the way I dress shifts, but that's not always noticeable if I've shifted after I got dressed, right? Or switched. Um, and what, and what does switching entail? So So how do you, so I've seen you, I know how you behave, you dress, but to somebody listening, how does otherwise feminine presenting Maddie present as a male? What steps do you go through to assume that identity? Well, so if, I mean, if I have the power to redress or get dressed after I've become aware, like, oh, I'm feeling really male versus how I was yesterday or earlier, right? If I have the power to change clothes, that's sort of step fun. Um, and I, I will, you know, if I'm, if I'm feeling really female, I tend to lean toward like push-up bras, pin-up style. Like I love playing with make. I mean, either way, I love playing with makeup. I love playing with my wardrobe. I like playing with jewelry and playing with colors and playing with patterns. Um, and this is all sort of a new thing for me is to this, this world of, I don't know, style fashion, whatever right. you want to call it, um, at my level anyway. Um, but that certainly is, is part of it. But and so- if I'm going the other way, then it involves like binder. I'll, I'm more likely to be wearing boxers. Like I have what's called a packer, which is essentially a prosthetic penis. Um, so but you, not so you do for the purpose that- of sex or like functionality it's just a silicone shaped like a penis like 
so, piece so, so that Matt, like fits into a pair of boxers. And... So Maddie wakes up feeling today. Today I'm feeling like a man. Yeah. So you you stuff your your fake dick into yeah. your boxers. Um, and you said a binder. I know what that is, but can you explain it to people who might not be familiar? So a bi- uh, a, a chest binder. Mm-hmm. In, in a way, I also really. Anytime somebody brings a binder, I'm like, Haha, binders full of women technically still ac- applicable in a sense um it makes me giggle but it it's a compression piece um mm-hmm. it helps to flatten your breasts as much as possible it's really important that you get one that is actually a binder and actually in your size um something that a lot of trans trans men or gender queer people who are binding or even drag kings or just people who are binding for fashion or fun or whatever um, will use either ace bandages or a binder that doesn't fit them well. And the thing about ace bandages in particular is they're designed to compress over time. So every time you breathe out, it constricts and um, it's really easy to bruise or break your ribs that way and cause damage. Um, So it's really, really important, even if you have a binder that fits really well, that you don't keep it on yeah. for too long. I mean, any any bra or anything, I don't know if you know this, but um, you're not supposed to wear them for more than eight hours at a time anyway. Um, I always take my bra off after You six. should. Yeah. You really should. Yeah. Um, the underwire just really starts digging. It's, it's no good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, but I'm really guilty of leaving mine on too long. Um, and is that just not wanting to leave that identity or is it a convenience that i'm out about and i can't take it off right now or sometimes it's it's both either whatever but it, i mean sort of the most pertinent child about it i guess that i get is at night if i'm going to sleep still feeling really male it's about like i feel like i look right i feel the way that my brain expects to see me in the mirror i i I look right. I'm experiencing my body more akin to the way I wish it was right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to lose. I don't want to give that up. Have you, even been, though I know that it's a safety issue. So, so have one of the things I've heard in particularly on, on internet discussions, which is yeah. never a great place to learn, <laughs> but you see a lot of people, uh, a lot of conservative arguments, a lot of um, homophobic, transphobic arguments that, uh, trans people, um, it's not uh, a gender. It's it's gender dysmorphia. It's it's uh, an actual pathological problem. Have you one? Have you been diagnosed with gender dysmorphia? Would you consider? Would you label yourself that way? I definitely experience what I call gender dys- dysphoria or dysmorphia. Yeah, where I feel disconnected from the body I'm in, or or. Like, I look in the mirror and my brain goes, that's not right. Yeah. Um, and you said your mom's a therapist. Has she, has this label come from her at all? Has she, no, have this is this just thought? how I, it's, it's not so much that anybody's labeled me. It's just that like, okay. I, the explanation for whether it's, whether it's right, eating disorders. There is a, there's an aspect of that that is body dysmorphia, body dysphoria, feeling not right and wanting to do something to to change that and not that the two are at all equated i hope that that's not what i'm uh conveying here but but it it's not just a trans experience it's Mm -hmm. it's anytime you're like fuck like i'm really uncomfortable in my body 
right? For whatever physical reason, like I look in the mirror and that's not right. Or, you know, I, I touch this part of myself and it's not right. Um, I think that that's to some extent universal. We all have things about ourselves that we're insecure about or uh, uncomfortable with. And I think this just takes it to a different level. Yeah. Um, and your question was about being diagnosed, and I haven't been. Um, but you've kind of, to a degree, self-diagnosed a little bit. Yeah, because there, nothing else makes sense in terms of, exp- uh, if you need a two-word way to explain, I wish I had Mr. Potato Head parts that I could switch out as I feel necessary, right? So sure. that I feel more comfortable, so that my clothes fit the way I wish they would all the time, and not just some of the time, or with the aid of binders, packers, whatever. Um, and he, like, for example, with me, I have a tiny rib cage, but big boobs. So a binder isn't really going to do much for me anyway. Right. Um, and it certainly helps. Uh, but even that's just sort of the closest I can get. Um, and it's an interesting experience to like, think about, well, I could have top surgery. Or I could go on testosterone. But with your fluidity, that seems like a very exactly. permanent solution exactly. for a short-term problem. Yeah. And and I also sort of, for me, I've I've gotten to a point where I'm like, okay, if I were to permanently alter anything, if I were to take hormones, if I were to undergo a surgery, um, yeah, part of me would be happy, but part of me wouldn't. And at least right now, that's still true, but I didn't pay for that situation. <laughs> Right. I didn't choose to change my situation. I am just sort of working with the tools I was given. And because I am so fluid that it's just about finding ways to be to be comfortable and to be uh, authentic. Yeah. So I, I want to transition a little bit from your identity yeah. to if you're comfortable talking about it, your dating life as <laughs> as a, a bi, bi-gender person. Yeah. Um, a um i'm blanking on the term um pansexual there you I go can, nailed I, it i always want to say polyamorous and that's a totally different thing but i'm i'm a moron so nah um so as a as a pansexual and somebody would you say it's fair to say you you do you're attracted more to women than men on the on the binary scale at least at its simplest, yes. Okay. Um, but the more complicated answer is is that because of my gender and because uh, toxic masculinity is a thing, right? And sh- straight men are more often, in my experience, likely to flip the fuck out. Does that happen? If I to you? tell them, yeah. Have you ever experienced violence from that? I personally have been very lucky. People, should, people listening should know that Maddie is. Yeah, I'm. I'm white. I'm very, very I, white. Well, I wasn't going to the racial. Oh. Way to make it weird. Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, oh. you, you really jumped on that one. I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> no, no. Um, I was no. I was gonna go. Uh, you've done. Uh, is it? No, it's not judo. It's. Oh yeah, I've done martial arts off and on yeah, since it, I was seven. My my point being, Maddie could kick. I'm I'm six two, <laughs> and I weigh a fuckload. Maddie could probably whoop my ass. So, yeah. 
It would suck if a guy did try to get aggressive on you. Do you remember, I don't know whose party it was to totally derail, but at some point we were in the kitchen and you were like, hey, punch my hand. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. And you walked away from it like bitching to somebody else yeah, about how bad I, your hand hurt. I, I was, we were drunk and I was like, hey, Maddie, here, hit me. Maddie hits like a fucking freight train. Yeah, it's, sorry about that. It's not fun. Um, but okay, so, so to get back on topic a little yeah. bit. So uh, identifying as, as by gender. Right. Um, as as queer you said you you gotten some pushback from men fortunately Definitely. thank god it's not ever turned violent right but how has that manifested if a guy free when a guy's freaked out on you how is that what does he do what's his so i'm usually pretty I'm, i hate to say it i'm pretty good at like weeding people out but i i am for better or for worse more cautious when it comes to particularly cis men um because my experience has taught me to be um, sort of unrelated to dating situations, my safety has felt most compromised in my life or been most compromised by men. Can you can you give me an example of that? I mean, I was dressed in jeans, boots, a T-shirt and a leather jacket one time leaving Sixth Street. I was with my friends. I had a sober ride. And, and for I people wasn't blackout drunk. Sixth Street is... If you're unfamiliar with Austin, it's kind of our big oh yeah bar drinking party scene. They shut just, down the street like uh like Bourbon Street, except you, you can't bring your alcohol out. It's just wall to wall people who are shit faced drunk. Anyway, just just providing context yeah. to anybody listening um, outside of Texas. But I, I was with friends, some of whom were men. Um, like I was playing by all the rules of getting left the hell alone. I wasn't flirting with anybody, and out of nowhere, this guy grabbed my boob, like as he was walking by. On the street, like unprovoked, like, and I spun around to take after this guy and uh, this like five foot nothing woman's like defending him. He didn't mean nothing by it. He didn't mean nothing by it. But I'm just like, and I start, I start pushing back because how, how do you defend somebody who does that? Um, but I've also experienced like I was walking to class with my girlfriend of the, at the time wearing like sweatpants, a hoodie, a beanie, like feeling really crap, getting ready for a test that I was not ready for, right? Walking to campus and this car full of uh, fratty looking dudes stopped like across our path in the road, rolled down the windows, said a ton of just like really disparaging derogatory shit. As, as a woman or, or about, a, about, about being, being queer, queer okay. of some ilk. Um, and did they know, or was it just you looked vaguely? It was queer assumed that day, because I was walking with my girlfriend and we were holding hands. Uh, but I okay, mean, okay. and some of it was also just like interestingly slut shamey, considering that both of us were completely like just like wearing sweats and done with life for right. the day. Um, but they 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 jeered and took a photo, and then drove off. Fuckers. And I to this day I don't understand. It, it was one of those moments that like. I, I don't understand how you think that that's fun or funny or appropriate. Like, I don't understand the appeal of behaving that way. Right. Um, and at sort of any time, you know, like I'm, I'm always really aware of where I am, particularly yeah. if I'm with a partner and you were asking me earlier about like what I wear or how that transition happens. And depending on where I'm going, right. Even if I'm feeling super, super male, I understand that presenting as such might not be as safe. And have you, if have you encountered any 
threats or perceived threats while, while, well, for lack of a better word, done up as a man when you're when you're fully presenting as a male, have you encountered any Some. aggression? Some. Um, actually, a couple of weeks ago, there was there was a fist fight downtown um, that started sort of because of my presentation and the, some of the people Were I was with. Were you in the fist fight? I was trying to break up the fist fight. Okay. So I jumped on some dude's back and sort of just like helped him go night-night for a minute. <laughs> Such a badass, Maddie. I, 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 he was punching my friend. Jesus I just Christ. wanted him to stop. Um, See, and I've but my, got... friend, my friend had sort of stepped into the role of like, I'm going to both sort of be a goon and also try to defuse the situation and, and sort of take some of that heat. Because um, this guy was, it usually starts as just like mean mugging from, from men, from women, from whoever. It, it usually starts as mean, com- mean mugging or like snide commentary and just sort of that. I mean, anytime you see somebody start a fight in that way, it sort of has the same escalating pattern. It, at least from, from my experience, is like, I'm going to start by just pushing your buttons and hoping I can get a reaction from you. Yeah. Because if I can get a reaction from you, then you'll help me escalate this. And then I'm justified in punching you. Um, but I've, again, been very lucky that both my experience with martial arts, the fact that my mom's a therapist and really focused on like how to have a conversation with somebody who is confrontational or whose opinion differs from you or how to diffuse things, right? Those are things that I have in my arsenal. Yeah. And I've never known you to be a particularly aggressive person. I've no. watched I've watched guys not uh violent <laughs> or aggressive, but guys hitting on you and just the the look in your face says, I want to be out of the situation. Yeah. And I've stepped in for you. Yeah. Which is a role I enjoy. Right. Um, and always something I appreciate because especially if I mean and it I should I mean, I don't know if I should, but there's, I know that when I'm really, really drunk that I'm just less capable. All of us are less capable if we're super intoxicated. Right. And I, I, I mean, even just talking now, I'm like claiming responsibility for other people's behavior when I'm drunk, which isn't the case. Like, I know that it's smarter to be sober in terms of your safety always, but sometimes you want to get drunk. Right. And it shouldn't be, I mean, we should all be safe in that space. Yeah. But that's not the reality. So, I want to talk to you a little bit. I'm, you, you're in the unlucky position because I'm going to hit you with questions representing a wide range of people because Sweet. you've got experience with a ra- wide range of people. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about... Um, for, basically, I'm going to make you speak for lesbians. Oh, so, boy. Yeah, so enjoy that. But it's a conversation you and I have had in the past. All right. Um, you've had several lesbian or female female relationships we'll call them fair yeah um and we've talked about in the past uh, you've come from you've had some abusive relationships with women i've had some some uh, yeah um they they were toxic at best okay sometimes sometimes my choices were toxic sure um but i've i have Friends who are bi, friends who right. are lesbians, um, friends who have lesbian uh, family members. Yeah. And uh, a fairly constant theme in all of those friendships is almost all of them have at least one story of a really batshit yeah. 
a downright I've, abusive relationship. I've I have you know plenty of straight friends, right? But the level <coughs> the level of abuse that I've heard from my friends in lesbian relationships far dwarfs the the frequency and the level of abuse I've heard from my straight friends. Now maybe my straight friends are um, not as open about their abuse as my queer friends. I don't mm -hmm. know, but and you and I have talked about this as yeah. friends. One, is that experience true for you? And, and if it is, why do you think that is? I think that, I mean, like anything, I think there's a lot of factors. Certainly for... Um, well, well, let's let's start with, you mentioned you've had some toxic, abusive relationships. Can you yeah. give us some insight into how that manifested with you? I mean, my experience was... I guess at its simplest was feeling really small and making myself smaller and smaller and smaller in order to, to accommodate somebody that, I mean, there, there's an aspect of the savior complex, right? I'm the kid of a therapist. So there's an aspect of this that was me trying to, here, I can fix it. I can help quell your anxieties. I can, you know, help dispel your fears. I can be the memory that everybody else doubts for you, right? I, I will vouch for you every time, right? Whatever it was. Which made it easy for you to be gaslit. Right. I, at least that's, that's my lived experience through it. And I, I recognize that there's multiple sides to any story. And, and I, I also know that as, a, as an empath, as a helper, I'm prone to put myself in those kinds of situations. Um, but I also think that with, with queer relationships in particular, particularly, you know, people who were socialized female, we really intensely connect to people really quickly. We, we make friendships for life in bar bathrooms, you know, and, and this is obviously a, a sweeping generalization, but I find that it's way more prevalent, um, yeah for women to get super, super emotionally invested. And then because they're so invested, instead of just going, oh, this doesn't work. I need to cut out, right? People like me, I want to fix it. I'm going to bend myself, break myself, right? Whatever I have to do to fix it. And it's taken a lot of, a lot of therapy, shout out to therapy. Um, and a lot of time, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of journaling, a lot of fucking up a lot of hurting people, a lot of realizing that I hurt people and trying my best to own that and apologize for that. In in your experience and looking back on your uh, relationships, mm -hmm. would you categorize yourself as ever the abuser? I think I've been a shithead. But you'd stop short of... I I would, but I also know that, that that's one person's perspective. Um, I certainly haven't always been a good partner sure. or a good person to have as a partner. But um, that's, that doesn't round up to abuse in right. most people's books. And I definitely haven't always been um, able to communicate well. Mm -hmm. um, and I've done, I mean, I've done stupid shit. I've punched a telephone pole. I've punched a wall. Well, abusing telephone poles is yeah, but fuck but I also poles. but it's also not okay. Like yeah. it's it's not okay, and I and I own that, and that's Fair. something that I have to deal with, right? Knowing that that I I punched a wall, right, in anger about somebody that I that I have 
completely like hysterically cried about situations to people in an attempt to salvage something which there isn't a level of manipulation in that sure not that that's what i ever intended but there there just it just is i mean i have not always been honest i have not always been honest with myself even i mean i think that some of that was youth and i think that some of that was just born out of this whether or not either of us is an abusive person or uh, a terrible person, I sort of feel is irrelevant because it's not so much about that. It's just that we were not good together. And I continue to fight for that and they continue to fight for that in these situations. And it inevitably brought us to a boiling over point because we never should have been together in the first place. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in a physically abusive relationship thankfully not that's good yeah the 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 reason i go on about the abuse is when we first i wouldn't i I would say it was after it was before we met but we were aware of each other yeah maddie and i used to live uh in the same apartment complex and that's that's how we came to know each other right but when uh you when i first i I guess i would call it encountered you right was at the pool with your girlfriend Mm -hmm. and I, i later learned that she was uh, very good at isolating you. We had our friend, our social group, yeah, and it was you two or you, you two in your social group, yeah, isolated. And you've told me, and you can tell me if I'm misrepresenting this, that she was pretty uh, keen on keeping you out of our social group. I don't know if she also yeah. did the same to other so with you and other social groups, but is that true? I mean, well, what's the fast, isolating what's, behavior. What's really interesting to me to think about this and to talk about it um, is that I think that, that that particular ex of mine would say, I mean, I don't know, but I imagine that, that they would say the same is reversed, that I was controlling or restrictive or whatever. That's interesting. Um, yes. But I also... My experience, my, regardless of that perspective, sure. right, which valid, important, right, um, my truth is that anybody who wasn't explicitly queer and a known quantity or known to be queer or explicitly over the top knowledgeable about, and not just, I'm saying queer is a very blanket term, but I right. mean like intersectionally on your shit activisty involved always calling everybody out right unless you were in that space unless unless you're militantly woke she wanted no part of you right and and what's fascinating is any friends that i had already got to stay and i was sort of they ended up being people we hung out with more often which is funny because then there's this dynamic of like not wanting to meet other people i mean the two guy friends that you probably saw me at the pool most often with are both straight men straight cis men um, which for whatever reason they passed, they were, they were allowed. Um, but I'd, I'd want to go, you know, join in with y'all and play ball. I mean, you've seen me out and about, like yeah. my natural state is wanting to be the bouncy social asshole, making friends with everybody because, oh, I like your shirt. I like your shoes. I'm going to talk to you about politics. I'm going to pick your brain about this CD. I'm going to talk to you about that show you saw last, like whatever, just making friends with everybody for yeah. whatever reason. Um, and and she, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a conscious thing. I think that there was just 
a lot of fear and a lot of anger from from both of us um but but in this case particularly from her of like I get to be really out and completely me in the space that I already know and meeting those people who are sort of I don't know well one I don't know them and then two now that I do know you right y'all wouldn't have passed the queer test um so you felt it was more of a self-protection thing than more of an isolating of you I'd like to think so I don't think it was I don't think anything about our relationship was unintentionally I'm trying to fuck you over kind of thing I think we both just burned each other really well so just so more so more than so so perhaps I looked at it so more than an abusive relationship just a really toxic relationship yeah and I and I think I'm more comfortable with that not that it was comfortable but I because I don't I don't pretend that my story is the only story and I don't pretend sure. that I have the most truth. Uh, Maddie, I need you to speak you know. for all queer people everywhere. You know, uh I can speak for I can speak for all queer people everywhere and say that Beyonce is our queen. That I am comfortable saying. <laughs> We're going to I'm going to get to Beyonce with you in a little bit cuz I actually do have questions oh, about that. about the LGBT community and and Beyonce in particular. But we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Um I I wanted to transition to we touched on it very briefly yeah. at the start. Um, the labels and right. pronouns and identity. Um, and I'm coming at this as an ignorant cis white male. Right. So cut me a, a tiny little sliver oh, of slack. But uh, It never hurts to ask. Thank you. Way to, <laughs> way to plug us. The identity and the pronoun thing. Uh, I hope this doesn't come out as too much of a rant. And so yeah. if it does, slap me down there's i don't know how many gender pronouns there are something like 40 or 70 on facebook there's a lot of them hmm. um and a, a friend of mine when she heard i was doing this podcast wanted me to talk to you a little bit about this um i'm not going to use any names there um but she has a coworker who uh white female femme identifies as feminist um, presents as a woman, uh-huh. um, but uh, insists rather aggressively that people address her. Uh, and I'm, I'm using the incorrect pronouns, and I'm going to get to their preferred pronoun. If anybody's listening and just wants to club me over the head, um, this this woman wants to be addressed as they, uh-huh. not her, him, th- they, uh-huh. um, which drives my my grammar rules up the wall anyway but so they prefer the pronoun they uh regardless of presentation present yeah yeah um and my friend her experience is and her criticism is that you identify as a as as gender neutral but you rally for feminists and women and um uh fight the patriarchy mm-hmm. but in using this they pronoun is basically removing herself from that identity as a whole so she's taking herself i'm i'm tripping up on my pronouns we're already this, it's so easy to do um they are taking themselves out of that identity while still right. wanting to 
um, fight for it from from afar, if that makes sense. Am I making any kind of sense to you? And, and Maybe. You... I mean, so so I have a bunch of thoughts, so bear with me if they're not terribly organized. One, uh, you mentioned grammar and they, them. You use singular they, them all the time, sure. right? If you've got a friend coming over, they want to bring somebody, but they're not telling you who, right? Like if I told you I was bringing a date, you don't know what's up, right? You're like, hey, Maddie, you want to come to a party? I'm like, I'm going to bring a date. And you might ask, oh, are they... I don't know. Sure. Vegetarian. Yeah. Because I need to know dietary restrictions for the menu or whatever the fuck the question is. I don't yeah. know. That's a very swanky party I just invented for you. <laughs> Thank um, you. Right. So, so, so they, them as a singular versus plural thing, like I get it to some degree because we use it most often to refer to groups. But I also just, I understand that it's a thing that takes practice, right? I used to, in middle school, right? We all used um, the, the R word. To refer to people you, or situations. You could say it. You could use it here. I, I, but I, that's the thing is I removed it from my vocabulary. Right. And it took time uh, and effort and, and work, for but in practice. We're, we're referring to retard? Yes. Okay. Right. And um, it, it took time. It, it, it takes intentionality to mm-hmm. change how you feel about words. But but the thing is, voc- words change all the time. I mean, bootylicious was added to the dictionary in 2002. That is not a word that should be in the dictionary with any sort of priority. It doesn't need to be in the dictionary. It defines itself. But it is. <laughs> I think it was added in like 2002. So we, we language is something that has always grown and changed and shifted. And I think that it's appropriate for us to... Uh, allow that expansion and it's gonna be uncomfortable because there's gonna be shit you say that's outdated like with anything um any sort of research or progress or change right the vocabulary shifts as you know more um i forget what i was gonna say else oh you were asking me about pronouns and my take on uh this person and they them and feminism i mean not even i that was that was a piss poor example it was just it was (laughs) recent so i went with yeah. that but i i'm speaking more towards i guess ultimately you know personally i don't care what you use right but i think but, that's what it is but it's it i i've i've only encountered it once or twice in, in my own interactions but i i've heard about it from friends most of whom are fairly progressive people but mm-hmm. it's um it's a aggressiveness with which that person wants to correct the record. If I, if you, yeah. for example, we'll so, use you. You, let's say you want to go by uh, he. Mm-hmm. You, for the most part, don't. I've, you've never asked me to, for example. Right. But you want to go by he. You're presenting, or I misassume that you're a woman and mm-hmm. and go by her or she. Rather than just, hey, um, can you address me as as he? It's just a, it's it's how I identify. It's what I prefer, right? As opposed to more of an aggressive, hey, I don't, you know, more of a a slap somebody down, right? A policing of language rather than a vocalization of preference, yeah. If, if that makes sense. This is one of those things I get from both sides. Right? Yeah, I, sure. I completely understand the perspective of like, whoa, I didn't know. Or I forgot or like, I'm, yo, I'm doing the best I can. I didn't mean to fuck up, right? And most of us, when we speak incorrectly, regardless of what it pertains to, we feel a little shitty, a little uncomfortable. 
um, particularly if it's in regard to somebody else, right? You're drunk. You meet somebody. You see them a couple days later. Oh, hey, Melanie. Um, my name's Laura, right? Oh, shit. You get super uncomfortable. Right. So there's there's that aspect of it. But then there's... So you're already... If you're already feeling uncomfortable, you might be more sensitive to somebody calling you out. And nobody really likes getting called out anyway. So then there's the dual problem of like, one, are you... I mean, are you being extra, not extra sensitive, but but are you sort of taking this too hard? Are you not able to hear this criticism? And then there's the other side, which is like this person might be really, really harsh, but it also might be the sixth time that day they had to correct somebody Fair. or the 16th or the 60th. Yeah. And the time before they could have gotten like shoved into the into the bathroom or kicked out of a bathroom. Right. Absolutely. And you could have just asked or said something wrong on the heels of something really violent or really triggering. And I think that there's, like with anything, that that giving each other a little grace, giving each other a little patience, both ways, as best we can, but also understanding that sometimes people just snap. Have and you, we never really mean to, but it happens. Have you encountered people, because I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you probably know more queer people than I do. Go figure. You might be a little more plugged it's into possible. the community than me. <laughs> but ha- have you encountered people who in in your personal opinion mm-hmm. might take things a little too far a little too aggressive a little too militant's not the right word but it's the word i'm going to go with because i have a yeah. chimp vocabulary yeah i i i think i'll say this is that my style of pushing pushing back mm-hmm. is to do more like this, right? To have the conversation, to challenge people's perception, to say, I don't think those things... Like, I was in um, I was in a recording studio a couple weeks ago and these guys started talking about a band member of theirs that they'd kicked out because, oh my God, this guy wanted to dress like a woman and how could he do that? Like his son's a football player in high school and blah, blah, blah. And I went, I don't think one will affect the other. I don't think that dad dressing in drag will affect his son's football playing ability. And it was it was a football player who was gay and wanted to dress in drag or just... No, 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 no. It's a high they were worried about the high school son uh-huh. of this bandmate of theirs who was essentially a transvestite if not a trans woman. They didn't th- these people uh-huh. weren't knowledgeable enough to be able to have a more in-depth conversation and this wasn't certainly anybody that they were looking to speak accurately about. They were more just airing grievances and for whatever reason I happened to be in the room. Yeah. Um, but they were they were very concerned about this kid. And I went, I don't think one will affect the other. This kid's a good football player. He's a good football player. Whether or not somebody else in his life wears a skirt. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like family conflict happens regardless, right? Life is difficult and painful and has its ups and downs. And it, it's it's not simple. It's not black and white. And certainly this is a different road to walk for this kid than he may have walked otherwise. But think about the opportunities this kid has to be an advocate, to be knowledgeable, to aware, to be kind, to be, fuck, like use a drag show as a football fundraiser. You know what I mean? Like it, it's everything is how you make it. I think, and certainly 
there's a degree of like, is it safe to be out, right? Whatever. But this was in Austin. Like the city is fairly live. I mean, it is still Texas in a lot of ways. And you have to deal with the fact that it is still Texas, but it's, it's not the worst place to be a trans person or a queer person. So, so speaking about being a trans, trans person, queer person, yeah. there's a, a psychologist named Steven Pinker that I really like. He's cool. his, I've watched Ted talks on him. I've, I've listened to interviews with him, um, read articles by him, right. but his whole kind of, um, argument, his whole thesis is that despite what we see in the media these days about everything's terrible, the world's coming to an end, war and famine, etc., poverty, inequality, all of those things while still present and, and, and serious today is as today is the best time to be a, uh, be alive in human history. It's, it's never been wars are fewer and farther uh yeah. fewer and further between right the wars we do have the death counts are significantly lower than even a hundred years ago yeah um racism still prevalent but less so than 50 years ago when we still had colored water fountains right um queer i mean gay marriage is now legal in the country ooh, ooh. um do do you while acknowledging the challenges you have, right? do you also kind of, are, are you able to take that step back? Would you agree oh, with that yeah. and look back and go, wow, it's, we still have a fight ahead of us, but man, it's a lot better today than it even 10 years ago. I mean, I'm able to sit here and have this conversation with you and feel a degree of safety about the fact that you're, you're intending to disperse this to the internet and the world yeah. at large. Um, my name's in it, right? Like yeah. we're, we took photos earlier. And, 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 and to be clear to everybody listening, I did go ahead and ask Maddie ahead of time if it was oh, yeah. a right to use her her full name. Yeah, I didn't no. Want... All of this is totally kosher with me, but I, I also recognize that I am privileged to be able to do this. I have a job where my manager knows my sexuality, my gender identity. She knows my dating history. <laughs> she knows what's going on with my family and my personal life. My coworkers, for the most part, know my friend. I mean... My friends, for the most part, know, even if they don't fully know. My family, for the most part, knows or um, has some awareness. Um, and I, while I don't live necessarily super loud about my identities, I certainly don't live in a closet anymore. And to have that freedom is incredible. And I recognize that some of that is because my parents are liberal and because I live in Austin and because I live in the U S instead of Africa or Russia or do you think certain, if, certain if places you lived in, in bumfuck Alabama, I'm sorry if down the road, somebody in Alabama hears this and just gets <laughs> butt hurt. your state's backwards and you need to just accept that. But would you live your life differently if you were in rural Alabama or even I like would have rural to. East Texas? I think I would have to. And I don't, I don't think I would have the same, Self-understanding. Not necessarily that my... I don't think that my identity would ultimately di be different, but I think that the ways I made peace with it or made it function or was able to balance that would have to be different. I'm able to have a more... Like, for me, balance moves further toward um, left-leaning or, like, super outness yeah. because I'm in a, in a space where I can be. 
um, where I can talk to my boss about my gender as it relates to my life or my dating or whatever. I can talk to my friends. Um, but if I lived somewhere where the majority of people are like, you know, if you're in BFE, there's not gay bars around. The first bar I ever went to was well before I was out. I was 18. I didn't come out to the friends I went out with for another year. And they took me to a gay bar in town when kiss and fly was still a thing. And, um, that wouldn't have been an experience, but that was my first real, like I'm completely surrounded by, for lack of a better simplistic explanation, gay energy, right? This, this space where everybody's, I mean, and I think we ended up there on the drag night. So I was greeted by these beautiful six foot, however tall, muscular, made up, decked out, glittery, bombshell women who kept calling me hunty and asking me where I got my jacket and and like oh you must be new right like I was welcomed by drag queens and drag queens are they can be vicious they can be vicious but I mean I don't ever want to cross a drag queen well but why would you <laughs> right <laughs> why would you I've, I've been um, to a couple drag shows in college and uh, we went to support one of our gay friends yeah and I've got to say drag shows are some of the most fun on the planet I, I I truly believe that everyone should go to drag shows at least once in their life because it's just an experience that you can't walk away from the same. Have you if you've never been. Have you I've I've also so there are drag queens, right. men, not always, but mostly men presenting as women. I know right. that there are some cis female drag queens who also Correct. perform. Yeah. But there's also drag kings, yes. um females performing as mm -hmm. as men have you ever considered I, i'm going to ask drag king first since you experiment with that side of your your gender more yeah but either one have you ever thought about personally i've i've considered it as far as like particularly when i'm feeling more masculine I'm like ooh, it would be really nice to know how to do like a mask makeup because yeah. like i said or i think i said earlier i love playing with makeup i like playing with the way it can make your face look you can you can completely transform yourself with makeup it's super cool um as if y'all didn't already know that uh, <laughs> but i'm not somebody who as much as i like talking as much as i like connecting with people and sort of being a goofball or a clown or whatever you're not a performer per I, se you you stick me up on stage i immediately clam up yeah and I, I fill up with red, sort of my chest just starts to fill up, up my neck, up my face yeah. um, until I'm just completely red all over. So I, I, the performance aspect has always been something I'm Fair. not so interested in. Um, but the idea of, of, right, you get drag queens talk about, drag kings talk about, drag family. You get a drag mother, right? Somebody who mentors you. And I love, I love community i love having um sort of that right both from my martial arts background it just i think all of us and like what having what martial community. arts um, we didn't touch on that earlier yeah so so as a as a kid um i did shaolin kempo and now i'm very lucky to be in a um like wing chung style kali. explain that to an idiot like me who doesn't they're they're both sort of mixed they're not mixed martial arts but they're martial arts born of mixing other martial arts so the first one was Shaolin Kempo Karate which is sort of a base in karate right lots of very uh, hard lines this is a punch this is a kick we're gonna do forms right but mixed with okay here's some grappling techniques here's some um, 
weapons techniques. Here's ways to be more fluid. Let's let's expand on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Wing Chun is Bruce Lee's art, or at least a descendant of. And I'm very lucky to train with somebody who puts me three degrees of separation from Bruce Lee. So this guy trained with Bruce Lee's last disciple. Um, and so these are offshoots of Bruce Lee's martial arts. Not that I am any You're Bruce his. Lee. I, God, I wish. <laughs> so let me so having learned and, and trained in right. the martial arts, has that helped you with your not necessarily confidence, but your Oh yeah. Your level of, of feeling safe as a queer person out and about, knowing that you at least have some tools in your toolbox to defend yourself. Right, does right. that No, it, it I personally think martial arts is something everyone should at least look into. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember starting as a seven-year-old and I sort of have two martial arts blocks, seven to 14. And then now, like the last six to eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked for studios, martial arts studios, dojos um, between. And I just never found any I really connected with. Um, but I, having that break, right? As a kid, I recall the shift from, the shift in my focus, the shift in my grades from before martial arts to after, like my grades went up, my focus went up, my drive went up. Um, and I was just a happier, healthier kid. I had more energy. I had more focus. I felt more capable of dealing with the fact that maybe I didn't have friends cause I was the nerdy kid or maybe, you know, maybe I lost my friends due to social shifts or people moving or I, I ended up going to a magnet high school. So I intentionally walked away from everybody with the exception of a couple people who went with me. But um, I forget what we were talking about. Just how uh, <laughs> martial arts oh, helped your, yeah, as so, a queer person, your level of comfort being out as definitely. a queer person so when you had that. I had that background, right? And I didn't really ever love the physical sparring, but but having... Part of martial arts for me, part of what I loved about the system I was in and then the system I'm in now, the studio, is both both had the focus of not fighting is always your best option. Right. That right? discipline and, to and not f- fight. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it it helped me focus on staying out of fights Seeing just, humor just was my defense. Like I always got out. Of, I would talk myself into fights with my big fat mouth, <laughs> and then I would just joke my way out of it. It's yeah. worked for me thirty-two years of existence. There you go. I've never gotten hit in the face. I don't know how because I've I've deserved it a couple times. There you go. But no, it's it's all about being able to get yourself out of a situation right. non-violently. Right. Because even if you can defend yourself, it's not the preferred outcome. Yeah. So I think in some instances. Well, so this so that there was that history, but then now getting back into it, I recognize what it's done for me as a whole and also for my emotional state. Like I having this outlet helps me to remember to avoid the fights. You know what I mean? To to approach them less as sort of that militant queer like I've had to deal with the shit seven times today. Can you just give me, like, can I just have some peace for this one interaction? Or can you just leave me the hell alone? Or can you say this one thing that I asked you 700 times, please? Like, or can you stop saying that thing or, or whatever it is, right? If I, especially if I'm like really worked up, just stressed out, tired, whatever. Um, 
but then having this other outlet helps me to remember like hey dude like you could really hurt somebody like it's way more important one nobody's gonna hear you like your fists don't say anything other than fuck you right like like getting in a fight isn't gonna communicate what you need anyway right um but also just like you could you could do damage and also this just is not it's not gonna get you anywhere yeah um and then also just being back in that space, I'm actually training with some people in really different backgrounds, really diverse perspectives. Um, a couple people really, really conservative, which um, I would not expect to still have community and still, you know, get along with people who avidly support our current president. Um which I want to get into with you. Definitely. But it's 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 nice to have that space and it's in a lot of ways nice to have these people who like okay, I may not this isn't the space to have a conversation about why you support the things you support. But we're respectful to each other in here. Right. So and we don't hurt each other and we don't say unkind things. We we are kind to each other in here. Are there are there gay queer dojo like are there i'm sure there are i just don't know of any okay um that'd be cool as fuck right you can start one you could be a pioneer i'm sure they exist i mean i know that there's like all women's crop god classes or martial arts yeah. classes and but, but this is something i found too while looking for a new studio um you need to become the queer bruce lee is what i'm oh getting my at God, that'd be so good <laughs> uh i don't think i'm quick enough yeah i like to nap too much <laughs> um but no this is something i found while looking for a new studio is it, i call it this macho shithead energy and i think it's something that bothers me in all aspects of my life is this i'm showing up to a situation acting like i know everything about the situation because i think it somehow makes me cool or elevates my status or whatever it is like it's ego or pride well ego and pride are the same I, whatever like ego society like fear discomfort people show up to things sometimes acting like they already know everything about it and i think we do that in i found that a lot in martial arts studio right that macho shithead attitude dudes like oh look how much i can bench press i can kick your ass like doesn't matter who you are i'm gonna beat you up like that kind of energy and i think that i didn't go to those studios for the same reason that i don't, don't interact with the kind of people who can't have a conversation about queerness right like you and I are able to have these conversations regardless of what you think or say, regardless of what I think or say, because we both show up and try to hear each other. And holistically, anybody who responds to, hey, I really want to have a conversation about that thing you just said because it, it hurt me. Or, hey, I really want to understand more about why you believe this because I come from a really different perspective. Right. Anybody who shows up to that conversation going, I'm not interested. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. Fuck you. I'm right. Right. That attitude. It makes it really hard to, to, to go anywhere. Yeah. So, uh, so piggybacking off that thought, uh, particularly about politics. So, yeah. uh, Donald Trump, our president, <laughs> holy shit. What bizarre world are we living in? But one of the things I noticed right after the election yeah. was, uh, an out uh, an outpouring of a sense of fear particularly among minorities mm -hmm. 
and among the LGBT community. Yeah. Me being a white cis, pretty much middle class male, I've got a certain set of privileges, which right. I acknowledge. But one thing I've gone back and forth with, and I was hoping you could explain a little bit for me, is what I guess I guess my question is what is your perceived threat of Donald Trump? And that's not to defend him in any way, but right. what in your worst case scenario, what is it you're afraid will come of it? So right after the election, I I put out a status that said something to the effect of overnight my world has changed. And not that it physically changed, but it was so much so much more about my perception of the world. Right. My my country elected into power a man whose rhetoric very explicitly excludes at best myself, my siblings of color, um, you know, my siblings with disabilities, women, minority, you know, what, what any but any disenfranchised group very explicitly by this man was sort of given the middle finger and somebody asked after that status like well what do you mean can we can we wait to see what he physically does and i'm going i'd love to but i also his he ran on a campaign platform with somebody who believes in conversion therapy he explicitly said that they wanted to roll back marriage equality right like he explicitly talked about like, oh, if you're trans in the military, right? Like it doesn't, I mean, it did matter that some of these things didn't go through that the, that the military issue has sort of dissolved, I guess, for now. Um, because it, it's somebody who's running on a campaign of hate and fear and using rhetoric that has really strong associations to, you know, a guy with a mustache from the thirties in Germany um, you know, Lugenpresse was a thing then, fake news is a thing now, same, same, right? Yeah. Like, it. the question, what is your fear, is my fear is that he'll do what he said he will do. My fear is that he's supported by the KKK and is retweet, re- retweeting, not quite the KKK, but like Britain first, right? Who is kind of Britain's version of that in some ways, right? Like, my fear is this is somebody who's running a a platform of division and fear and hatred. And anytime you provoke people to fear and hatred, they respond really, really aggressively. Right. Like we all, if you push us to fight or flight, we all pick a target. Not to mention the the religious freedom bills that are being pushed, which allow people to discriminate based on their religious beliefs, which yeah. I believe is bullshit. Yeah. I mean, when, when that was first sort of coming about, uh, I guess is the way to say that. It, it, I had a conversation with somebody where they were like, it's just cake. It's just wedding cake. Like, what the fuck do you care? Like, Buy cake somewhere else. And it's well, like, well, it's, one... It's just a water fountain. It's just a bathroom. Right. It's just the back of the bus. Right. But also, it's like, think about the fact that that medical care is often privatized. Right. Right. Like, does that mean my 
EMTs have a right to refuse me service because I look queer or trans or a Muslim or whatever, you know, like, because that I have, like, yeah, theoretically I could go get cake somewhere else, but I'm, I'm thinking like firefighters, right? Like, like technically these things, you, you can refuse service, but it's, it's that one, that one bitch in, uh, in Tennessee denying wedding licenses because of her religious beliefs. And like that to me is fucked up. It's a problem, but my brain goes more to the like cops, like, you know, detectives, therapists. I mean, if particularly if you're in a smaller city or town, you don't have, I mean, shit, even the cake thing is like, right? Like there's only so many, there's only so many cake makers and if all of them refuse your service what you can't have a wedding cake you can't have a birthday cake you can't have a sweet 16 what if you're the gay parents of a straight kid like does the kid quote unquote suffer for your sins kind of thing you know like and i i i sort of feel i get the more conservative perspective of the government shouldn't fucking have to tell you but it's like yeah but you shouldn't fucking have to tell anybody that treating other people with decency and respect and doing the right thing regardless of somebody else's sexual identity, uh, religion, skin color. Like, why are we still having to talk about this? But the fact that we still have to talk about this means we, people need help doing the right thing. In So we're, what, a, a year, almost a year and a month, 13 months into the... I'm pretty the sure Trump. it's 40 years. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, it sure feels it. Yeah. But... Your fears on the day after the election, if you think back to your feelings that day and yeah. now look at what's transpired over that course of time, you feel it's as bad, less bad, or, or worse than you originally feared. I think it's very different. How so? So I, the night of the election, I plugged in my earphones because I couldn't handle watching it with the volume on. And I listened to the same Stevie Ray Vaughan song on repeat until I passed out on the couch with it on and I just slept like that. I just slept and I overslept for work the next day and I showed up crying and scared and also just like, how did we get here? Like just, just completely baffled at the time of like, how do you, how do you put this person in power? Like how do you voluntarily hand over a country to somebody like this? And I think since then, my my fears have changed to, like, oh God, my safety is going to be compromised, and like, like I'm going to see these sweeping bills come through, and and these immediate changes, and we're all going to be stripped of of power and rights, and we're going to sort of be in like a Hunger Gamesy kind of situation by the end of year four, and we're all fucked, and and he's got his hands on the nuclear button, and we're going to be in a world war by the end of the year, mm-hmm. and obviously that didn't happen, but. I've experienced depression at levels I never have before. Mm -hmm. And my ability to stay plugged in. I mean, I'm an international relations major who likes staying informed and aware and part of the dialogue. But I'm having to spend more and more time on isolated self-care from that yeah. stimulus no, I, because I, have, I just i can't 
and and I f- and then and then I have the the sort of shame depression about it that like I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. I have to stay informed. I have to stay up to date on all of these things. And there's, I mean, it's just too much. I know. It's too much. Political science professors, a couple of whom will be on future episodes, knock on wood, um, but whose whole careers are studying this. And even several of them have expressed similar, like, it's just such a shit show now. They even want to unplug. And that's yeah. their livelihoods. Yeah. I'm the I study political science. It's hard for me to stay right plugged in and current cuz it's just a, a, a dumpster fire on a right. dumpster fire. Well, and I think th- there's just this pervasive feeling of hopelessness with people. And like and not not that there isn't a way to fix things, but that that it's so like, how did we get here? How do we get to somewhere better? Like, no one is happy. I don't know anybody who's happy with the current political climate, regardless of leanings. Nobody. And yet nobody I know really has a step fun. This is how we get to step 40,000 where things are great and peachy and, you know, all of this is resolved because there are infinite perspectives but it's just i think the 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 biggest concrete fear external fear that i still have right other than the fact that my depression has worsened to levels i've never experienced and now i'm having to um to work through that um but the biggest pervasive fear is that the person currently in charge of our country has given a megaphone microphone platform to communities that we all sort of hoped had disappeared and become part of history books and like yeah. we're sort of you know like saint george and the dragon like there yeah, it's history and instead it's like oh shit no like these racist assholes now have a really big ass microphone and are being given platforms and backing and defense from the highest authority and that's really concerning because it 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 makes it makes it feel like efficacy even as effective as you can be as an individual ultimately it doesn't matter because if you run into trouble or confrontation then then ultimately you're still going to lose out let me so we're we're still going through the the whole rush investigation and everything and there's talk maybe if the democrats take over the house in 2018 or the house and the senate oh let's impeach trump from my perspective which which i won't unpack too much but i I was hoping you could give me your thoughts impeaching trump particularly from an lgbt perspective would be worse for that community because if we impeach trump then we have president pence who is not a new york former you know a former democrat New York elite, but a lifelong anti-gay ideologue who then becomes our president. And not only is he even more outspoken about gay rights than, than Trump, who seems to really say whatever, speak out of both sides of his mouth more often than he doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody like Pence seems almost like more of a threat to the LGBT community than Trump. Does that have you had that thought? Have you you thought about that I at all? I have. Um, 
I would prefer somebody like uh, if I were gay, I would prefer somebody more like Trump, who says a whole bunch of horrible things, but has so far demonstrated that politically he is so incompetent that a majority of the things he tries to enact fail. Right. As opposed to somebody who like Pence, who's probably going to navigate those waters a little bit more efficiently. Yeah, I I sort of have a mixed opinion on it. Um, I certainly don't want somebody with more hatred, bigotry, bias toward my identities, my communities in power, right? Somebody who is able to be more focused and targeted um, scares me a lot, particularly because women and queer people and people of color and religiously non-Christian people have been major targets for Mike Pence. Um, but there's also something to be said for dealing with a stable human being. Fair. Somebody who who you disagree with, but who at least thinks in patterns. Yeah. And follows a logic, and like yeah, understands the system well, but also works within that system rather than making up completely new rules. I mean, there. It, part of the hard thing about this administration for me is there none of this is supposed to happen like so many of the like the fuck type news stories about the administration about this last year have been wait a minute how is that possible how is that even a thing that's happening like why are we having to deal with this why is our president treating at tweeting at the you know the leader of north korea like, why, why is that a thing that's happening? Why does anybody think that's appropriate, right? Regardless of how you feel about North Korea or the president, like, that's not how politics has ever been done. That's not how, like, there are, there are protocols, there are procedures, there are things that happen, and at least Mike Pence operates in a predictable way. Not that I want to be, I mean, I still think that there is a degree of snakiness to any politician and whether or not, yeah, 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 we know the rules and we're all playing by them is totally 100% transparently the case. Um, I would wager more often than not. It's not. But at least this is a predictable human being whose every word isn't contradictable by another sentence from them. People like Trevor Noah or Stephen Colbert or John Stewart or whatever have pointed out for ages that Donald Trump is his own worst enemy because everything he says he has his own counterpoints for that he has said. <laughs> at, least, at least Mike Pence is a consistent human being. But I feel like those counterpoints that that uh, flip-flopping, which is funny because, you know, with, with John Kerry, he was crucified for, oh, he's a flip-flopper, he's changed his positions. Hillary's mm-hmm. been... Um, criticized for flip-flopping yeah but with donald trump it's almost a virtue yeah um it's celebrated but having said that i feel like donald trump's flip-flopping for every step he takes towards a negative outcome for the lgbt community he's taking one or two steps back with something else he backtracks as opposed to pence who's going to be just a steady lockstep march towards infringing on your rights but if you had to pick would you prefer to keep trump or would you 
if you, I mean, because it's likely going to be a one or the other if it does get to that point. I'm thinking of it less in terms of what would I rather and more just in terms of at this point, I am 98% sure that there was collusion and involvement between Trump's campaign and probably Trump himself and Russia. I don't know if it gets to Trump. I don't know. But I'm positive that this campaign was not done above board. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Russia was involved. Full stop. Sure. And at this point, it's not so much that I would rather have Mike Pence. I think that it's it's more that I'm mentally preparing for, okay, when this happens. Yeah. Because I think he's a squeaky clean enough conservative to have at least covered his tracks about whatever's going on with Russia or stayed out of it entirely. Yeah. Um, so I don't think we'll get a, a, a two hitter on this one. Yeah, no. Um, and you know, if we do, you know who becomes president after that. Yeah, no, that's way worse. <laughs> Nobody wants President Paul Ryan. No. Why would you want it? No. Oh, he's Wet the worst. blanket. <laughs> All right, we're going to get off politics because yeah. this is bumming me out. Um, Anything else. Let's talk Waterburger. <laughs> we're already in an hour and a half, so we probably should get to wrapping this up. Time has flown. Yeah. So I want to come back to your favorite topic and uh, talk about Beyonce a little bit. And my question is, for for a generation, Cher was kind of the voice of of the LGBT community to a degree. Um, She's certainly iconic. Yeah, an icon within the community. That's a better word. Thank you. But Beyonce's kind of assumed that title. Lady Gaga's dabbled. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Beyonce really is is kind of the icon of, of this generation's LGBT community. My first question before we just devolve into a complete suck fest for Beyonce, which I know it's coming. Let's do it. Yeah, but why why do you think that is? What is it about her and her music and, and her persona that so lends itself to that com- the queer community? I mean, Beyonce is transcendent, right? She's And by that I mean... Both. I'm majorly hard for Beyonce all the time. And also just that um, she doesn't just belong to the queer community. And I certainly, not that she belongs to me in any way. Um, you wish. I wish. But I think it's it's that she is both completely untouchable right her even her instagrams like she doesn't do herself like she doesn't have she doesn't follow anybody on instagram she is there to post and be fabulous and wonderful yeah i mean me neither no followers on my instagram either i'm following nobody i'm following you well you're following but i'm not following anybody yeah Yeah, i'm taking the beyonce approach all right well it it never hurts to ask on instagram (laughs) please add me i'm gonna pimp myself for a second (laughs) please do i'm the beyonce of podcasts yeah it is your show um (laughs) But I, I I think it's that she carries herself with both this air of kindness and also just just I mean flawlessness. I mean she's her her fashion is something that she completely owns and has honed and has a team for. Like she's part of a powerhouse couple with some badass kids and she quietly advocates for Black Lives Matter and for queer movements without being... What advocacy has she... And I'm not the Beyonce fan you are, but what... Can you give me examples of her advocacy for for the LGBT community? I'm not, I'm not saying she doesn't have them. I'm unfamiliar with them. And that's one yeah. reason I'm so curious is 
Lady Gaga is a lot more outspoken. Right. But I think that's I think that's why Beyonce lends herself to so many communities. I think what I'm getting at is not so much that she's an explicit advocate for any one community. It's that, it's that amorphous she, identity. She lives her her personal life so quietly while also being really clear in like it's not like I am a feminist. I am for queer rights. I am for trans rights. I am for people of color while also not. Like, she quietly bailed out a bunch of people from Black Lives Matter protests with Jay-Z. Like, they didn't make it a publicity event. And I think that's, like, people quietly finding that out rather than her making it a public, like, guys, I'm doing this thing. Donate your money here or whatever. People, res there's, there's a degree of respect for somebody who just lives their values. Just makes really good, really poppy. And, I mean, it doesn't hurt that her music fits really well in gay clubs. Like it goes really that's well. That's totally into that. what it is. I mean, it? that it, that's a huge part of it, honestly, <laughs> yeah. is, is, but then there's also just this aspect of Beyonce that listening to Beyonce, I feel so connected with my, with my feminine parts, with my womanhood, right? With whatever aspects of that resonate with me that day, that minute, that week, whatever, right? Like I feel fierce i feel strong i feel capable i feel um 10 feet tall you know and i think that that is something that for for marginalized communities whatever that community may be that feeling comes through her music and people really resonate with that resonate with so it's feeling. an empowering yeah thing. i don't i don't know that it's so much that like like you were saying, Gaga does a lot more specifically queer advocacy, like vocal um, work, music, outreach, um, involvement. I think it's just that Beyonce lives her life in a way that I think conveys more than explicitly says... I love you regardless of who you are and I want you to feel empowered in who you are. Like her music sort of gives that to people in the way she lives her life, partially because she lives it so privately, even as much as she is in the media. Like nothing gets out about Beyonce that she doesn't want out. Yeah. So we have a very... Except that elevator fight. <laughs> Technically that wasn't about her. I mean, I'm sure it was about her, but it wasn't her fight. Um... But I, I, I think it's that she conveys this very, and for, for, for queens, for queers in particular, like embracing feminine energy, I find is something that's really prevalent in queer communities, um, particularly gay men. Um, but I really love embracing my femininity personally and embracing my, my womanhood and embracing a more femme look, embracing makeup, embracing my shape, my curves, my whatever, um, and nothing makes me feel more like ready to go like than Beyonce does. So, okay, and and all that's f fair and fascinating. You said nobody makes you f feel more feminine than Beyonce. Yeah. When you have that male identity going. Yeah. Musically who who brings that out of you? Well, I want to say like Beyonce, like even when I the feel answer still can't be Beyonce. Well, no, I guess it's totally no, no. good, but there's a two part thing to okay. this. Is is that one that like if I'm feeling really really male and I'm listening to Beyonce, I, I'm not 
I still feel my feminine energy. I still, it's, it's something that I've learned helps me if I'm maybe not able to go out as masculine as I want to or presenting as male as I want to is like if I pump myself up with Beyonce then I'm like that's fine honey I'm just the fiercest queen ever like I'm the fishiest drag queen in the world fishy um meaning passes really well right like I pass really well as a woman I'm fishy as fuck which like obviously I didn't know that was a thing um yeah good to know the more you know there we go um but it's fun right I I Honestly, I feel most like the most powerfully like badass I feel is when I feel really male because there's a confidence that comes with feeling male and a, and a sort of a, a feeling of right to take up space that I'm not always experiencing as a as in my female space. Um, I definitely notice I take up more space when I'm male and it's fun to take up a lot of space, feel really male, right? But also feel really fishy and really fierce and really like feminine energy. So sort of like the very stereotypicallyest gay man is how I would sort of explain that energy to somebody who maybe doesn't. So get so it. the answer's kind of Beyonce because. But but if I'm listening to Beyonce, then that brings that out, right? Beyonce still brings out like really feminine energy in me. But who um, brings out your masculine energy? I think I'm gonna go with with Led Zeppelin. I listen it, to okay. uh, Black Dog. Yeah. A lot to kick that off, but I, then I'll also listen to like, I'm I'm grateful to you for showing me uh, international players anthem that comes up a lot for me when I'm feeling really male. Like that's a now really, you're just sucking up to me. Well, no, but it's also true. Is <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> that that's a really solid way for me to feel really like grounded in my masculinity. Um, but I I mean I also really really love listening to um, Prince or. George Michael or um, any of Freddie Mercury, any artist who, who David Bowie, who has played with what it means to be male, what it means to be masculine, what it means to be feminine, what it means to be queer. Um, I like people who push. Big Frida. Oh, I fucking love Big Frida. <laughs> I fucking love Big Frida. We need Frida. to go see Big Frida when she comes in. We town. do. We should do that. And we'll make it a priority. Yeah. Um. But people, people who live unapologetically as themselves and push those boundaries of what it, of what is acceptable, um, what defines gender or, or sexuality or whatever, um, those come up a lot for me, regardless of my gender, in terms of people who really make me feel powerful. Right on. Hell yeah. I just like you slipped some UGK in there. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I've got one question that's at this point completely um, out of left field, non sequitur. Ready for it. But it's, but it's one that I didn't get to touch on earlier. Um, when we were talking about your sexuality and dating um, yeah. and sex life, as I'm going to use the wrong label, but it's just for purpose of this question. Um, your lesbian relationships, your, your female relationships, mm-hmm. Um, somebody wanted me to ask this as, uh, as a lesbian, not labeling you as such, but in lesbian relationships, do you, is there the same caution to STIs as straight or, or heteronormative sex? Are, are there those, are there precautions or worries or, or how does that? Yeah. Well, I'm going to say out? that 
there should be. Go get tested. There's a lot of free testing facilities. Um, doctors, gynecologists, whatever. Like, please go get tested. Stay tested. Keep up to date with all of that. Um, and, right, being queer comes with different challenges. So if I be totally crude, <laughs> I mean, if I'm having sex with somebody who is assigned female right like yeah vagina boobs whatever mm-hmm. that side of equipment then if i'm just touching them i don't have to necessarily be concerned about transmitting it to myself provided i wash my hands right that makes that a lot easier but you also have to consider like you're bringing toys into the mix oral sex is still a thing um dental dams are really important if you are having oral sex with somebody with a vagina and you don't know their status, or even if you do, it's just good to be safe. Um, but I've also really encountered, like, queer people are, we're less careful as a collective because pregnancy isn't a consequence we can have. Now, when you say this, are you speaking queer in terms of female-female or? Overall. Me- pregnancy isn't a consequence we can have. Right. And that's, for me, like, and and I know that that STDs STIs are are a very real and sometimes deadly consequence to having unprotected sex. But it's awfully hard for two lesbians to get HIV. E- Harder. Yeah, but less that and more just like for me, like I'm so much more terrified of having a child right now than I am of accidentally contracting something. Um, and you just sent all three pro life listeners. Into a <laughs> I know, tailspin. I'm sure. They're just all freaking the fuck out. I don't know out. why they stuck this long through the it podcast. It's really surprising that they've made it this far. But <laughs> this hey, is where hey they're guys. checking out. Um, see y'all later. Um, no, but I, I... Like, drunk brain, for example, is less likely to be careful with a assigned female sex partner than an assigned male sex partner. Right. Um, even though I should be equally as careful and precautionary with both it's a lot easier to have safe sex if it's not penis to vagina penetrative sex because there's lots of ways to i mean like like anything there's lots of ways to receive pleasure without uh swapping fluids (laughs) sure um but i think it's important to have the conversation and i think that's why like so many queer people find themselves in positions where they maybe wish they'd been more careful well maddie i know you didn't think we'd go this long we are we're creeping up on two hours that was incredible i know it blew by yeah um so before we wrap up is there anything else you want to add is there anything we haven't touched on you would like to talk about i'm sure there is but at this point i'm just we'll have to bring you on for another episode yeah i mean i think we just come back and talk some more but i've i've really loved being here thank you you're welcome um Thank you for being my first guest. Hella. It's been it's been a delight. You know I have to also be your last guest if that's ever a thing. Why right? would you why would you put that in the universe? No, no, no. Like seven years from now when Thank you're you. like, oh, I'm gonna retire on my big ass load of cash and my yacht or whatever the <laughs> fuck. Like I'm your last guest. You you'll be my last guest. So so this is uh this has been a great conversation. Yeah. I appreciate you coming coming on the uh, It Never Hurts to Ask podcast, and I'm sure I will uh, have you back. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening.